Well, hello, everyone. I want to welcome all of our locations and everybody online. And I also want to give a special shout out to East. I'm going to miss you today. We always have a ton of fun, and we just have a blast. And so, Wes, downtown, and everybody online, I'm telling you, you should check out East. No shame here, okay? If you're here right now, if you listen closely, they're having a blast right now, okay? Hey, but we're starting a new series uh, called Generations, and we are diving into just how do we be a light for our generation? And I think as soon as you start that conversation, what goes in my mind is the thought of like, man, we got like generation wars going on. I mean, we've got baby boomers looking at millennials going, I don't get you. Uh, we got millennials doing the same thing back, but then millennials are even divided amongst themselves. They're like, I don't think you're a millennial. You know, like we got that going on. Generation X is like, hey, don't forget about us. And we're like, okay, whatever. And then we, all three of us, so baby boomers, Gen X and millennials, then look at Gen Z and go, what happened? <laughs> and this is not uncommon. This happens throughout all generations. So then to have this conversation, you're going, how in the world do we change a generation? And even the generation before us, the generation after us, how do we be that light? Well, I think some of it starts with looking at our family dynamic. And once again, you start diving into family. And hear me, when I say family, I think big context family. Yes, we've got maybe our intermediate family, we've got mom and dad, we've got siblings, all that kind of stuff. But also, I think church family plays into that. Also, if you're brand new to an area of starting to build friendships and and relationships, that becomes your family. We're even talking about groups today, like that can be a family. And so when you think about that, you're going, okay, yeah, like that's where I think God wants us to start and be a light there to where then it has this ability to affect other areas. But once again, family. I mean, this week, our family was arguing about things. And so we, we fight, we have to navigate these things. And so I wanted us just to take a step back and maybe just kind of laugh at ourselves a little bit at how we fight about things through generations, but also as family. And so I have this clip from Everybody Loves Raymond. It's an old TV show. Uh, It's old now, which is just crazy to think about. Um, But I think it shows a little bit of a generation thing, but also family kind of walking through things. So just enjoy uh, this clip. Listen, I wanted to talk to you about Deborah's birthday. Oh, my God, talk about birthdays. Your birthday gift to me finally came this morning. And did you know you sent me a box of pears? Yeah, yeah. From a place called Fruit of the Month? That's right, that's right. How are they? Oh, they're very nice pears. <laughs> but there's so many of them. <laughs> they're over a dozen pears. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with all those pears? Well, I think you're supposed to eat them, Ma. Myself? You, you and Dad and Robert. How many pears can Robert eat? <laughs> Look, I appreciate the thought, Raymond, but please don't ever send us any more food again, okay? Thanks, thanks, Well, another box is coming next month. What? More pears? No. No, it's a different fruit every month. Every month? Yes, yes, that's why they call it Fruit of the Month Club. It's a club? Oh, my God, what am I going to do with all this fruit? Well, most people like it, Ma. You share it. Share it with all your friends. Which friends? I don't know. Lee and Stan. Lee and Stan buy their own fruit. Why did you do this to me? I can't talk. There's too much fruit in the house. I'm I'm sorry, Ma. Hey, Marie. Oh, Ray. Do you know that the fruit keeps coming month after month? 
He's got us in some kind of a cult. It's not a cult, Ma. It's a club. What do you mean, month after month? For how long? A year. My God, are you out of oh, your mind? I'm so sorry, Dad. What do you think we are, invalids? We can't go out and get our own fruit? I try to tell them. All right, I'm canceling the fruit club. Oh, oh, good. Thank you, Raymond. Thank you. And don't do that again. Like we don't have enough problems. All right. Okay, listen, I got to go. Well, I hope you see that. You see the generational thing going on, but you also see the family dynamics. And so I want us to spend a little time, uh, even today, focusing on how do we have the family values that starts to bring the light that I think God wants us to have in our generation and in our families. And then throughout this series, we're going to be navigating how do we navigate family roles, how do we navigate when family wrecks, all those kind of things. And seeing this beyond just the intermediate family, this is an impact across all areas of our lives to where we learn to be the light that God is telling us to be in all families that we get to be a part of so that we can have that ability to change the generation that we're a part of. So uh, if we want to learn from this, I think the best place to start is looking at what God has done. I mean, generation after generation, he has gone after going, I want you to be part of my family. Here's the family values that I want you to learn. And so this comes from Deuteronomy, just to see this kind of uh, in Scripture where God is going after this. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. I, I am speaking on behalf of God, but I wish God could be here right now, and I believe he is, and, but we could just hear him talk about, hey, so I did this with just this generation, did this with this generation. Here's how I navigate family. Because it would be so helpful to see. And to give you a little glimpse into it, just if you were to navigate the Bible a little bit, over and over again, he makes promises to certain individuals that affected all of us. I mean, you think about it, he made a promise to Adam and Eve. He made a promise to Abraham, made a promise to Jacob, made a promise to Moses, and made a promise to David. And then Jesus comes to this world and fulfills this promise. That promise that he put in scripture a long time ago, I will love generation after generation. I want everyone to be part of my family. But to be part of my family, we all know this. There are some boundaries to it. There's some commandments I want you to keep. I want you to understand what it means to be part of my family. So there's five areas that I want us to look at when it comes to values that I believe God actually put these values in. And if you study scripture over and over, you'll see these moments where he goes after these five and the goal of these five is to create change so that people would understand the values. So here they are. Uh, these are the five values that we got. Got surrender, purpose, mercy, discipline, and patience. I'm going to dive into all five of these. Um, and this may be one of those sermons you may have to come back to and rewatch because you may go, man, that one area, that's what I needed to focus on. But then there may be another season in life you're going, this other area now is becoming a key piece. So first one, let's talk about surrender a little bit. I think all of us want to be part of a family that is surrendered to a bigger purpose. I think no one signs up, you know what? Let's be part of a family that's just about us. Let's be part of a generation that only thinks about us. No one wants that. No one wants to be a part of it. But is it easy to fall into that trap? Yeah. When things don't go the way we want to or things uh, just play out and we thought we're like, this, we never thought we'd be dealing with this. And so then it becomes a little bit selfish. 
I think all of us go, surrender is a very important value, but, but then we got to put it into action. So if you want evidence of this, Jesus did this with his disciples. Once again, Jesus went after, hey, this is my family. I'm going to go invite 12 guys to be part of what I'm doing and show them. And, and later on, they did some incredible things. But one of the first things he wrestles with is he calls them. He goes, hey, I want you to drop what you're doing, the jobs that you're doing right now. Come follow me. This idea of surrender what you have now and come and live a life with me. It's a crazy ask. Most of us right now, if Jesus were to ask you that, I don't know if we'd say yes. But I mean, you've got a tax collector, you've got fishermen, you've got uh, a religious leader, all in the midst of people that he asked. And they were all willing to surrender and say yes. That was the beginning point. And God keeps bringing up this surrender conversation, even to the point to when he even goes up to heaven. It's still a conversation about surrender. So it starts there, and then there's this middle section that I would kind of consider. They look at Jesus and go, man, you're different. Like, we pray, and like, it's good, but when you pray, it's on a whole nother level. So teach us, how do you pray? And many of us have heard this scripture, but I think it speaks to, once again, Jesus' teaching. This is a heart of surrender that you need to have. So look at this scripture. Uh, it says this, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That line right there, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, this whole prayer is focused on surrender, a surrendered heart. But Jesus is like, if you want to pray like I pray, if you want to learn to live like I live, you have to surrender. And it's powerful. And these disciples go, okay, and they still weren't fully grasping it. Even the three years that they were with him, they get to the end, and Jesus dies on the cross, and that causes them to question everything. Just like in our life, something goes wrong. It's not what we were predicting. The disciples didn't want Jesus to die. They were thinking he was going to live forever. He's the king. He's the one that's going to save us. But then they see him die. And all of them start to like, I don't know if this is the right thing anymore. Maybe off. Some of them go back to the jobs they were doing before. But Jesus once again meets them after he raises from the grave and goes, no, remember, we're still surrendered to this. Surrender. Uh, to give you, like, we look at disciples and go, like, wow, okay, they, they walked through it, and, um, and eventually they were so surrendered that they started the church. Many of them became martyrs. Many of them were put in prison, all because they believed in Jesus. Now, when it comes to our families, we may not be going to prison or be martyred for believing in Jesus, especially in the area we live in, but what does that look like for us? How does that value play out in our lives? Uh, one example I can pull from my family is... Um, very thankful for my mom and dad. Hello, mom and dad. Hope you're watching this. Uh, but as they were, you know, parenting us, I have got two younger brothers. One of the things they kept kind of talking about and even showing it was like, you need to go wherever God tells you to go. And we were like, okay, okay. Well, high school, we graduate. Okay, well, now we got to figure out college. And once again, it's that conversation. Go where God wants you to go. And then I get done with college, and the two job opportunities I have uh, at the time is one in my hometown, really close to my parents, or one out here in Rapid City, South Dakota. You know how this story goes, okay? <laughs> but I'll never forget the conversation with my mom and dad coming to me 
and going, hey, son, it's your decision. But we just feel, the Holy Spirit is, I don't think you're supposed to be here. I think you're supposed to go to Rapid. And to me, that was the evidence, if you want to see, like, my parents being surrendered to what God wants in their life. Because I looked at it and be like, you sure about this? I'm going to be 10 hours away. It's not going to be an easy trip. And crazy part is they did that with my two younger brothers. I mean, we are all over the place now. My mom and dad still live in Kansas. I live in South Dakota. One brother lives in Michigan, and the other one lives in Kentucky. None of us are close. But I remember my mom talking to me, and this was years ago, but she was like, um, people will come up to her. Someone would be like, hey, jokingly, but I don't find it funny. They'll go, like, do your boys just not like you? <laughs> and I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> um, but my mom answers, we told them to do what, what God told them to do. And I look at it now, it probably could be the best compliment they could ever have as parents. Because they were willing to surrender. Willing to go after, God, whatever you want to do in my boy's life, we surrender it. It may mean we're not close, proximity-wise. And so to me, that's the evidence. And you've got to look at your own family life, your own family dynamics, and go, if we're going to be the generation that changes things, one of the first things we've got to do is surrender. And if you want the evidence of that, Jesus is first, everything else is second. With each one of these, the question I would say is, like, is the evidence in your family? Is Jesus first and everything else is second? So that's the first one. We got surrendered. The next one is purpose. And when it comes to purpose, I mean, there are so many different avenues that we can go. Uh, we could have a purpose that's built on, man, I just want to have a fulfilling life, a good life. And, and that makes sense. Some of us, I want to be successful. I want to have a meaningful family, a meaningful life. There's so many different purposes that we can go after. But I think scripture starts to give us some insight, and I think God is giving us this insight of how to navigate it. How do we find the right purpose? So look at this in Proverbs. I think it's super helpful and, and very truthful. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Like I said, there's going to be so many purposes that you can go after. And some of us, our purposes get attached to some of the hurts that we've experienced in life and going, oh, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. That becomes a purpose. But if you want to know the purpose that you need to draw out of the deep water, the one that really will stick, the one that matters the most, is the one that God's given us. God's purpose, and he's given it to all of us, is to go and transform lives. Just let that sink in a little bit. His purpose for all of us is to transform lives. Now, can we do the transforming? No, but we get to be a part of what he's doing. We get to give opportunities. We show love. We, we get to join in on this. And there's a lot of other purposes we can go after, but this one is the one that I think truly changes our lives. And in Scripture says, it's the one that prevails. So look at this in Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. To go a little bit deeper, the evidence of purpose in your life is that this becomes an opportunity and not a job. 
You gotta look at it as like, we get an opportunity to be parents. We get an opportunity to get married. We get an opportunity to have relationships. We get an opportunity to be part of a church. But when it starts to become a job, I think we start taking the relationship component out of it. So let me show you just kind of the differences between opportunity and job. Opportunity is this, you learn what you don't know. There's consistent growth. There's long-term vision. There's a journey drive mentality. And by that, I mean, you look at it as, as you go, as you move forward, as you're driving through life, it's a journey. It's not a destination, it's a journey. You're going, there's gonna be times where we're gonna be off. There's gonna be times where we're gonna go down a path that I don't understand because God's taken me somewhere I don't fully understand yet, but it's a journey we're going on. And then the joy comes from putting in the work. This side over here, just looking at the opportunity sound, you go, yeah, that sounds like the relationships. That sounds like what we need to go after because we gotta have those. But then this other side, job, deliver what you know. Short-term growth, short-term vision. It's a destination drive. We do what we gotta do, get the job done, and then hopefully, maybe the joy comes from getting a promotion and moving in that direction. But when, when it comes to relationships, we can't treat it like jobs. There's days it feels like it. Parenting feels like a job. <laughs> I mean, we've had the fourth night in a row of a kid getting up and being like, hey, can I sleep with you? And you're like, mm-mm. <laughs> no, you need to go to bed in your own bed that we paid for. Um, <laughs> It just will feel like job at times. But that doesn't mean we let it become a job. Because everybody in a relationship will start to feel that. Your kids will start to feel when parenting becomes a job, when the friendship becomes a job, when being a spouse becomes a job to you. The other person feels that. And that's why our purpose, we go, no, I'm about transforming this person's life. That's what this is about. That's why this matters. And I've got to treat it like an opportunity, not a job. And so that to me is the evidence of us starting to navigate our purpose. And when those tough moments come, we stick to our purpose and treat it as an opportunity, not start to treat it like a job. So there you go. There's purpose. Now let's dive into mercy. This one, I think, and you can see this, these kind of build on each other. Once you have purpose and you're going, okay, I'm here to help God transform people's lives. Well, then mercy becomes this next step to where, okay, what do we do when the person that we would love for God to transform their life is just being brutally mean, is hurting us? Well, this is where this next value comes in. Because mercy is that, um, it's almost a mission that God gives us to go after and go, you're gonna have to start with mercy. I mean, Jesus did it with us. We didn't deserve his mercy. But he went to the cross so that our sins would be covered, so that death wouldn't define us. We don't deserve that. We were the ones that broke the relationship. And so if you think about God's family, it's all around mercy being a critical value of us going, God showed us love when we were at our worst. And to help us even, a scripture that, once again, you know, there's so many scriptures about mercy, but I found this one in Jude, and give you a a little, like, Jude is a brother of Jesus. He came to know Jesus later on in his life. I mean, once again, family dynamics. And Jude struggled to believe that his brother was the Messiah, like any of us would, you know? But here's what Jude wrote. He's writing to a church, and he said, you must show mercy to those who, whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. 
Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sin that contaminates their lives. I love this verse because I think it gives the full picture. Mercy isn't just this, hey, let everything slide, everything's fine. He's like, no, 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 hate the sin. Hate the hurt that's happening. Got to recognize it. But we also got to have this mercy that allows people to see, I still love you. I still care about you. We need this relationship. One of the best ways I've seen mercy play out is actually from our first responders. Those who, the firefighters, the police officers, the nurses, all those first responders who look at a situation and they don't sit back and go like, well, I don't know if I should get in on that because if they, they do, it's, they're not great first responders because they're looking at somebody who is hurt either by doing something to themselves or a group of people have done something to this person and they come in and go, let's get you out of this situation. Let's help you. Let's heal you. Uh, I was blessed once again. My mom and dad, my dad was a police officer. My mom was a nurse. So I got to see this. To where uh, just seeing them take this oath of like, no, this is who we're called to be. There's days I don't agree. I mean, even my mom having that. I don't agree with all the decisions this person has made. That's probably why they're in the hospital right now. But my duty as a nurse is to care for this person and love this person and show them mercy. That's why first responders are incredible because they'll put all that aside and go, this person needs help, we need to help them. So then it becomes, in our context, we gotta look at it this way and go, when our kids fail, when our spouse fails, when our friend fails, when the church fails, the pastor fails, do we become first responders? Or do we just go, nah, I'm out. The reason we need the value of mercy, the evidence of mercy, is because it's all about connection, not separation. If this value isn't in our families, then we will be very separated. And maybe for some of us, we need to sit here for a little bit. Because I've had enough conversations, whether it was marriages or whether it was families or whatever the case may be. Don't get me wrong. You're justified in being hurt and being wrong. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be boundaries in this. But our heart should want mercy so that way we don't lose connection with the people that God has given the opportunity to influence. Mercy has got to be a part of a value that we implement across our families, across our friendships, across our church. And being able to see it's all about connection. For people to someday be able to come back and be like, thank you for giving me the mercy I didn't deserve. And we look and go, we're doing it because Jesus gave us the mercy that we didn't deserve. So then the next one, discipline. This is the one that we're like, I think we all go, yeah, we need this, but it's, it's tough, it's difficult. Um, discipline, I want you to think about this way. There's a connection, I think, between freedom and discipline. Sounds a little bit interesting, but the two, I think, go very, very much together. And Paul was a writer of a lot of the books of the Bible, and he especially talks about this in Galatians. Um, but he wanted to help us navigate it. He goes, so now that you've, let's say, we've made a decision for Jesus, many of us have made that decision, we have this freedom now. Freedom from sin, freedom from death. It's incredible. 
But then what should we do with that freedom? Should we just go do whatever we want? Live however we want? Sounds like we should, but the answer to that is no. If we truly want to experience freedom, there's a lot of good things that we can do, but to experience the great things, we've got to add discipline to our life to where that freedom becomes more powerful. Uh, Just to show you this in Scripture, this is in Galatians. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. This idea of discipline is uh, learning to go, the freedom God has given us, going after, because I think he goes, I've given you an incredible gift, but it doesn't stop there. I want you to learn, go after my commands, go after what I want for your life. And if you put that discipline in, you'll experience a freedom even beyond the freedom you've experienced now. It's a deeper kind of freedom. Um, And the goal, if you want to know, like, okay, what freedom are we going after? The ultimate is this next part, and just a little bit later in this scripture, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, I look at that scripture, and you're probably like me. It's like, man, I think I do like two or three of those kind of pretty well. There's days in my life I was like, maybe one, you know. But God looks and is like, I want you to be disciplined enough to where you can experience all those. Where you're growing in those. Because all of us have different personalities. All of us are made different. Some of those are a lot harder for us than others. And so he goes, but I want you to put in discipline to where you learn the value of all these. And the Holy Spirit is the one guiding us and showing us how to get there. Because down deep, we want all this stuff. And... (laughs) I know, looking at my life, um, one of the things that Tina and I, uh, Tina's my wife, and we've got four kids, and so we're hitting many of you. I see you, uh, we're in the sports world right now. I see you around, whether it's at basketball or soccer. Uh, Emma's nine, Corbin is six, Avery is five, and Nora's two. Nora's not doing too many sports right now, I'll tell you that. Um, But Emma and Corbin, they're doing basketball right now. And then here in the spring, uh, we're going to have all three of them, Avery, Corbin and Emma doing soccer. But one of the things that we've told our kids just to kind of have a discipline, um, because man, sports are good things. I love sports. I think it teaches kids a lot of things. But if I'm not careful as a parent, I can make it the most important thing. And I don't think that's great for my kids. I don't think that's teaching them good discipline. Because we're looking at it going, okay, kids, you get one sport per season. So they get to pick one. And a lot of this advice I've gotten from many of you and I think is very helpful. And then there's also a season that we go, hey, no sports this season. And for us right now, that's the summer because we go, man, we, we want to be able to be able to go experience things as a family. Also teach our kids like, hey, you don't have to do sports all the time. There are greater things in this world. Being able to go, uh, maybe someday being able to go to a, a camp during the summer or maybe being able to go experience God in new ways or even with family, go and take vacations that we can't do during the sports seasons. This is teaching, I think, myself, but also teaching our kids, hey, there's disciplines in life. There's a lot of good things you can do, but when you are only doing good things, what you can miss out on is the great things, the freedom that God wants you to have in those great things. And so learning to have that discipline is 
is so vital. And I'll give you an example in the church world that I just find so crazy um, is if you were to ever study revivals, study uh, just how they happened in history, all that, there's two major components that begin it. First is there's a spiritual decline going on. There's some fighting, there's something going on that is creating a spiritual decline where God is thought of less or they're mad at, whatever the case may be, mad at each other. The other part of it is there's a group that starts to pray on a regular basis over and over and over again. And so to give you an example of this, uh, three quick ones. Uh, The last uh, revival uh, that was kind of documented across the world was in Scotland in 1949, where two ladies, they were sisters. One was blind, the other one was hunched over because she had back issues. But they said, they felt the Holy Spirit saying, God is gonna do something incredible. There is a revival coming. And so they went over to the church and they told the church like, hey, uh, just get ready, pastor. This is gonna happen. And these two ladies said, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. every night. And they did it. But here's the crazy part. Weeks passed, nothing happened. Months passed, nothing happened. And there was finally a moment at the church where one of the elders stood up and read scripture and said, God, you need to create clean hearts in us. Boom, that's when it started. The prayer, the discipline of prayer led to that. And then you look at other ones. uh, In 1800s, there was a revival that happened in New York City. Uh, depression was, was kind of, before the Great Depression, there was this depression going on right now to where uh, many people couldn't find jobs. Many people couldn't, uh, they were just struggling to survive. And so these six businessmen said, we need to start praying for our community. So they gathered and they prayed at noon every, uh, once a week, and they did that for a while. But then other people started joining them. Once again, it took time. It wasn't like it happened the next day. And the last one I'll share is in the 1700s, there was a revival that happened um, in Poland um, because kids started praying. I share all these stories because it shows different walks of life, different generations going on. And these children were playing because they were tired of seeing all the religious wars that were going on among them. Lutheran and Catholic battles happening. These kids started praying on a regular basis and a revival broke out. I challenge all of us to look at our lives and go, are we putting disciplines in that God is saying, you need these? If we want to do great things, some of it is going, hey, church, if we want to see a revival, have we started praying? And I'll plug this right now. There are two prayer groups going on. I'd encourage you to join them. One on Tuesday night, one at Thursday at noon. We need more people praying. But for some of you who are navigating family stuff, maybe it's putting in a discipline. For marriage, it's a discipline of we need a date night, discipline of we need family time. But to say yes to this, you realize you're gonna have to say no to something else. And that's the toughest part of discipline. Is there are good things that are gonna have to go by the wayside so that you can do the great things. The last one, and sorry, with the discipline, if you wanna see this, you gotta be proactive, not reactive. That's the evidence of it. And I've kind of shared it already, but there you go, that one. Then last one, patience. This one is the hardest. The other ones I feel like you can look at and go, I can control some of this. The disciplines, I can, okay, I can work on that. Uh, mercy, I can get better at that. Purpose, I can find that. Surrender, okay, I can do that. Difficult moments, but it feels like you're this. Patience is all 
about the other person. Because like I said, the purpose is to transform people's lives, but we are not the ones that transform them. And there are times where we get tired of waiting, waiting for our spouse to change or our kids to change, and so we'll force it. And when we force it, we are starting to enter into something that only God designed is designed to carry it. Uh, to give you scripture from Psalms that I think helps uh, shed some light on this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. That's a tough scripture. And we may want to underline that one. We may want to just kind of have that one plastered everywhere. We've got to learn to be patient even when the people we love may not be making the perfect choices, may not be making the choices we want. How can we still be patient with them? Because here's the beautiful part if we're willing to be patient. We will be a blessing in their lives, not a burden. If we force it, if we push it, now that person now has to navigate you and God. We've added another burden in there. Learning to be a blessing is sometimes going, sharing the truth, but also waiting. Giving mercy and waiting. And that's why I say this one's the toughest one. Because it's hard to watch sometimes. Once again, it comes back to the values. Because you want that day to happen where the person comes to you and go, thank you. Thank you for letting me navigate my own stuff. Thank you for waiting. I appreciate it. I needed it. And you have more influence in my life than you ever know. Those are the stories I would love to hear from all of us to where we're working through these values and starting to implement them and going, okay, how can I put this in my marriage? How can I put this with my kids? How can I put this with my friends? How can I put this in my church? Because it starts with you. If you want to change the generation, God's going to go, let's start it with you. So here are all five with a little connection line with it. And so I would say, take this down, write it, whatever you need to do, just being able to look at it and go, God, help me work on these. And it's not gonna be like something we fix overnight, but we work hard at going, God, show me how to have this value in my life because you first showed it to me. Help me navigate it with my family. Give me the wisdom, give me the love, give me the mercy. That's how we become the generation God wants us to be. So if you're willing, join me in this. Let's go after this because our world needs it. We need people who are shedding light into a world that seems very dark, to generations who seem lost, to family members who need hope and love. Let's go after the mission of transforming people's life. Let's do it. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for how you're leading us. And God, I pray that you would guide us and show us how to take these truths um, and these values and go after them. God, we love you. Thank you for showing these values in our lives. And maybe we haven't experienced them yet, but that doesn't mean they're true. May we be willing to lean into and go, God, I see now how you showed me this. I see now how me being part of your family, me being your child, you've walked me through these different kind of values. And God, we know there could be other values we put on this list, but this is a good starting spot. So help us, Lord. May we be people that honor you so that we can be a generation 
in the generations to come that live for you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.